0: hello and welcome to loud and clear a podcast amplifying the voices of women in music i am your host Olivia Adams. I am so excited to be back in your ears this week. Today begins our new music history, or should we say history series, talking about a different composer. Each week, I hope that this series is going to be informative and fun and interesting. And um, it's one that I have wanted to do for quite some time. And so this fall, I decided that this, you know, is the right time to be able to do this series. So we are going to start with one of my very favorite composers, Florence Beatrice Price. Now, honestly, I could spend several weeks talking about Florence Price. Honestly, her life could have its own podcast, but today I want to give an overview of her life and music, give you some music to check out, and also point you towards some resources. I want to preface this episode by saying these are not meant to be in-depth, comprehensive guides to the life and music of each composer, but It's just to give you a taste, to give you an overview of their life, a taste of their music and some resources to help you go deeper should you like to do that. I also wanted to structure these episodes in such a way that you could share them with your teenage music students to supplement their music history or perhaps learn more about the composer if they are learning a piece by them. One of the best resources on the life and music Florence Price, is one of my favorite music biographies called The Heart of a Woman, The Life and Music of Florence B. Price. It was published in 2020. The biography was written by Ray Linda Brown and Guthrie Ramsey, her former research assistant and colleague, edited and compiled the foreword. Brown began studying the music of Price in 1979 as a student at Yale and researched and documented Price's life until the end of her career. She whispered into the ear of her sister on her deathbed in August of 2017, and I quote, my book. Publish it. It's done. It's finished, end quote. Doesn't that send chills up your spine? I, for one, am so grateful for the scholarship of Dr. Raylinda Brown and her career-long dedication to the music of Florence Price. Her scholarship gave way to what is now a renaissance of Price's music, helping put Florence Price back on the map of Western classical music. A lot of what I'm sharing with you in this podcast is from the biography A Heart of a Woman, as well as commentary on her music from Collect of Florence Price's works that I have, as well as I'm using the book Piano Music by Black Women Composers by Helen Walker Hill, as well as the scholarship of Samantha Agay and her articles and PhD dissertation on the music of Florence Price. Okay, so let's travel back in time. Who was Florence Beatrice Price? Florence Price was born Florence Beatrice Smith on April 9th, 1887 in Little Rock, Arkansas, to Florence and James Smith. She was one of three children, and her father was a dentist and an inventor, and her mother was a teacher and Florence's first music teacher. Growing up in the Jim Crow South, Florence and her family experienced a lot of racism, Florence went to a segregated public school in Little Rock, Arkansas, and then at the age of 16, Florence began school at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston and graduated with a double major of organ and piano pedagogy three years later. Florence was a gifted musical child. Her mother helped her to compose from a very young age, and she gave a recital of her own compositions at the age of four. I am pretty sure that at the age of four, I was taking group lessons at the Sunshine Music Club in my home city. I for sure was not giving a recital of my own compositions, but that's beside the point. After Price graduated from the New England Conservatory, she moved back to Arkansas and taught at a local academy. And then at Shorter College, and then finally at Clark University in Atlanta, Georgia. After that, she married an attorney, Thomas J. Price, in 1912. The couple had three kids together, a son, Tommy, who died as an infant, and then two daughters, Florence Louise and Edith. Living in the South in the 1920s, there was deep-seated racial tension and violence. So the Price family relocated to Chicago in the late 1920s. Some books say 1926, others say 28. We know that Florence was traveling back and forth to Chicago quite a bit before they moved. They moved as part of what became known as the Great Black Migration, which was a mass migration that turned Chicago into a multi-ethnic and multi-racial city. Chicago at the time was a Land of opportunity with a thriving creative arts industry, and Chicago became known as the center of the jazz world in the 1920s. But it's important to note that so many genres of music thrived there, including vaudeville, blues, gospel, concert music, or classical music, etc. This was also known as the Black Chicago Renaissance that thrived from the years 1930 to 1950. When Price moved to Chicago, she continued her education at the Chicago Musical College, the American conservative Conservatory, Chicago Teachers College, Central YMCA College, and the University of Chicago. It was during her time in Chicago that Florence's music began to become recognized. She won several awards, such as the Wanamaker Prize, which she won for her symphony in E minor, her sonata in E minor, Fantasy Number no. 5, and also an art song. It was through these prizes that her music was recognized by the conductor of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And in 1933, the CSO performed her symphony at the Chicago World Fair really putting Florence on the map in the classical music scene. But the Chicago Symphony was not the only one performing Price's works. Her works caught the attention of several major orchestras across the country and even across the globe, including the Michigan WPA Symphony, the Women's Symphony Orchestra of Chicago, the Manchester Symphony, the U.S. Marine Band, among many others. Price is the first Black woman that we have record of to receive international recognition for her music. Her music was sung by some renowned vocalists such as Marian Anderson, and her spiritual arrangements were sung by Ella Bell Davis, Etta Moten, Todd Duncan, and Blanche Thabon. In addition to composing, Florence was a prominent community organizer. She was an active member of the Nathaniel Deck Club, and she chaired the composition portfolio there. She gave lectures, accompanied members of the club, premiered her works. She was the branch representative at the national meetings for the NANM. Price was an active member of her church as well, and she wrote and performed her organ and choral music there. In addition, her and Margaret Bonds started the Chicago treble clef club, which was a performing arts club in the city. Over the course of her life, Price composed more than 300 compositions. This includes 20 works for orchestra, over 100 art songs, and over 100 compositions for piano, as well as dozens of arrangements of spirituals, specifically for choirs. She wrote popular music for commercials, radio, theaters, and musicals, all under the pen name VJ, as she didn't want to broadcast that she also wrote popular music. She wanted to keep that part of her life. Separate, Florence Price was clearly a woman of many, many skills. I'm going to quote directly from Dr. Brown here because she gives the perfect segue into exploring Florence Price's style. She writes, quote A pioneer among women Florence Price was much celebrated for her achievements in her time with the resurgence of interest in her music she is taking her place among those important composers of the 1930s and 40s including William Grant Still William Dawson and Aaron Copland who helped to define America's voice in music Price's music reflects the romantic nationalist style of the period but also the influence of her cultural heritage her music demonstrates that an African American composer could transform received musical forms, yet articulate a unique American and artistic self. And on that note, we're going to transition into some of the markers of Florence Price's style. Dr. Mildred Denby green writes in her book, black women composers a genesis quote in the 20th century black american women began to fuse the music of their african heritage and european music traditions dr samantha gay writes in her article chicago the city we love to call home she writes quote Price, though restricted in where she lived, incorporated the wider city of Chicago, which had cultural significance. She uses her perspective with cultural idioms of the places and people she is with, referencing Black antebellum dance traditions and hand-clap, foot-tap evocations, end quote. And then she directly quotes Price, quote, In some of my work, I make use of the idiom undiluted. Again, at other times, it merely flavors themes, and still at other times, thoughts come in the garb of the other side of my mixed racial background, end quote. So we know that Florence Price often used idioms from spirituals, as well as making nods to other well-known Black idioms such as ragtime, like a gay rights, using Black antebellum dance traditions and evoking the hand-clap, foot-tap ideas throughout her music. Price was an accomplished pianist and organist and mostly composed in the late Romantic tradition. She wrote that she took much of her inspiration from Frederick Chopin and Robert Schumann. It is clear from her music that Price loved the rich Romantic harmonies and the flamboyant bursts of expression throughout her music. There is a clear passion that is often associated with romantic works that is evident throughout her music. Price ran in the same circles as Margaret Bonds, who we'll talk about just a little bit later, and William Grant Still, who composed in the same style of the late romantic fused with African-American spiritual idioms. Samantha Agay writes in her dissertation, quote, the black musical idioms and tropes that were crystallized in the spirituals can be traced to the earliest existence of forcibly displaced and subsequently newly diasporic Africans in colonial America. They are located in the songs, dances, rites, and rituals of an enslaved people striving to reclaim their actual agency. That the resultant art forms came to possess a such strong virtual agency was inevitable for a genre that enacted creative freedoms in the most oppressive of social environments and gave a powerful musical language to the politically voiceless. Price carried the vernacular into a contemporary aesthetic that realized new and uplifting possibilities for a black idiomatic art music. End quote. And then later, quote, she, as in Florence Price, wrote in resistance to the derogation of African-American expressive cultures, even as her wider social climate perpetuated thinking and listening practices that propagandized its lowly status. Price believed that an American national music could derive from the country's mixed heritage and histories in reflection of the country's own formation. End quote. Price's works did not just use african-american idioms but they were part of her vernacular and that shaped her own unique style as she amplified the voices of her community and history I now want to turn to Price as pedagogue. As a music teacher, I was very interested in Price's pedagogical music or her teaching music. Price was an active piano teacher and taught out of her home in addition to her composing. Pedagogical music is so crucial for young students to help them to learn and develop in a sequential way, reinforcing basic techniques that build on each other. And Florence Price being the incredible teacher that she was as well as composer had a real gift for being able to write sequential pieces for students. Spice wrote plenty of teaching pieces for piano and also for violin. She distinguished herself by securing multiple international publishers that put her compositions within conservatory and curricular materials. Raylinda Brown wrote that she found her niche in the world of teaching pieces. Her teaching pieces became a significant source of income for her later on in her life, with one of the most important collections being Pieces We Like to Play, published by Carl Fisher. She also secured publishing with Shermer, McKinley, Presser, Gamble-Hinged Music, Sumi, and Oxford. Unfortunately, after her death, many of her pieces were removed and forgotten until recent scholarship has resurfaced them and reinstated them within circulation. In addition, Price faced pushback from many publishers, and she recognized that this was a result of her role as both a woman and a person of color. In one letter to a publisher, she writes, quote, Unfortunately, the work of a woman composer is preconceived by many to be light, frothy, lacking in depth, logic, and virility. Add to that the incident of race, I have colored blood in my veins, and you will understand some of the difficulties that confront one in such a position. Now that duties connected with caring for parents and children have been lifted from my shoulders, I do so want to make tangible progress and to get examined and performed some of my accumulated scores." End quote. Price voices the concerns expressed and experienced by so many female composers of color at that time. Despite her success within the field of composition, Price faced a lot of prejudice. So little of her music was protected under copyright laws, and she received no residuals other than those receiving from selling her teaching pieces. She applied and was accepted into the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, but it took a full six years for them to process her application, and so she went without royalties during that time. Now, one thing that I found interesting in Price's music was that one of her first Most newly republished collections for beginner pianists included music that didn't have titles, tempos, or dynamics. In fact, there are very little markings at all. And this wasn't because she didn't want to add them in, but because Price wanted to include the opportunity for students to make choices about their music. They can play the pieces through, add titles, dynamics, articulations, decide the tempo. As Dr. Jensen Abbott writes, this music is a veritable playground for students to imaginatively explore their own interpretations, end quote. I have used these pieces with my own students and they love that they get to decide how the piece sounds, adding their own edits. There are currently two collections of teaching pieces for beginner pianists and more being added really all the time. Dr. Leah Jensen Abbott published and edited a couple of the collections through Clare Editions. And so I will link those in the podcast show notes and you can check those out. One thing that was amazingly clear throughout all of the scholarship on Florence Price is that community mattered to her. Whole sections of her biography and articles have been written on the importance of friendship and community to the life and work of Florence Price. She was not an island, but very clearly supported and was supported by her community. Mention has already been given to her professional organization work, such as the NANM, the Nathaniel Debt Club, the Chicago Treble Clef Club, and she was also part of the Chicago Club of Women Or and musicians club of women. Florence relied heavily on her community of female friendships to sustain her through a difficult divorce and income loss because of it. She lived with the family of Margaret Bonds, and this is taken from the article by Samantha Agay called Composing a Symphonist. Gay writes... Quote, in addition to the external stimuli of clubs and associations, Price's temporary living situation with the Bonds family proved conducive to her work as a composer. She wrote new pieces, extracted parts, and submitted scores with the support and assistance of an invested, tight-knit community. Margaret described scenes of late nights in winter at her family home when a flurry of hands belonging to every brown-skinned musician in Chicago who could write a note, Margaret's words, would gather around the Bonds Juan's large kitchen table amid piles of manuscript paper and help Florence meet her deadline." In addition to being supported by her community, Florence Price also supported her community. She elevated black artists and music throughout her career. Her piano concerto was composed for Margaret Bonds to perform with the Chicago Symphony. She organized concerts and premieres. Her community work was so well noted that they frequently wrote about her in the Chicago Defender for all of the work that she was doing. Now, it was during Price's time living in the home of Estella and Margaret Bonds that she won the Wanamaker prizes for her compositions. She won prize money for her symphony in E minor, her piano sonata, and an art song in the same year. This is what Samantha Agay writes about that period of Price's life. From the spiritual fellowship of Estella and Margaret to the musical fellowship of Black Chicago's best creative practitioners, Price's invitation into the Bonds family home both relieved her mind of material considerations and granted her the time and space to fully devote herself to composition. By this time, Price was not a nascent composer. Decades of expertise Informed her craft, but it was not until her individual expertise converged with the collective support of an uplifting community that Chicago's most celebrated black female symphonist would emerge. And isn't that a beautiful picture for us to close this conversation with? Author and historian Kate Buller writes that, none of us are self-made. We're all a group project, she says. I love looking at the life of Florence Price, one of great career success. That also shows times of weakness where she needed to rely on the strength of her community to carry her through that hard time. So. Here is your reminder, friends, that we are made in community. So lift up your neighbor. In the spirit of community, I'm thinking a lot lately about the musicians of the Kitchener Waterloo Symphony. For those who don't know, the KW Symphony folded mid-September, nearly days before the season was to begin again, and they filed for bankruptcy a few days later. That means that members of our music community need support. There's a fund for the KW musicians going around who have all lost their jobs very unexpectedly, and I urge you to make a donation. 100% of the fun goes to the musicians whose lives were overnight upended. Even if you can only make a small donation, every little bit matters. I'll provide the link in the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much for caring about the music community. Mark Turner, the CEO of the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra, the supporter of this podcast, wrote an op ed commenting on the KW folding. And at the end of the article, he writes quote, It's time to rally around the arts. Go to the play. Buy tickets to the concert. Make a donation to the organizations you love and take your friends. Call your politicians. We need them to listen. We need to let go of the myth that struggle breeds creativity. You know what breeds creativity? Sustainable support, end quote. So that is the charge to you, my friends. As you head out into your week, can you support the arts in some small way? A concert ticket, a trip to the theater, a $5 donation. Speaking of support, It would really help us out if you would subscribe, like, and rate this podcast five stars. It helps to get us in front of new listeners and keeps the episodes up to date on your devices. The subscriptions and ratings really matter to us and the sustainability of our show. Plus, it's free. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this new style of episode. As always, you can find me at oamusicstudios.ca and at oamusicstudios on socials. I will see you back back here next week. Bye for now.